0: I really appreciate the comments that many of you have given over the past few weeks with regards to the lessons. We have been studying some moral lessons, some lessons on morality. and We have discussed many things such as homosexuality, abortion, divorce. We have discussed some things that man today may not always consider to be moral issues. And tonight we'll complete that series of lessons that I've had planned for some time. I did have to shuffle two or three of them. Some folks asked for some lessons to be at a particular time and I preached those, but tonight is the final one in the series. And you may have already determined either by the photo that's on the screen or by the reading that was read that tonight We're going to talk about something that James calls a fire, something that he describes as a poison. And I enter this lesson with a certain amount of respect for the fact that I feel the obligation to preach all the counsel of God. And yet on this topic, there is much more information than can be delivered in one lesson. And I recognize that God will look down and judge the lesson that is presented and the way it is presented because in the very first verse of James chapter 3, he says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive the stricter judgment. God will judge each of us. I want to point out that some people suffer physical abuse. Uh, one of the things that while Coretta was serving as a case manager for the Department of Children's Services, it really disturbed me to see the number of children that were physically abused. Parents would take cigarettes and burn uh, their children. That was just, uh, just so saddening. Many of them had been hit, not in terms of discipline, but they had been abused physically now you have to recognize that there's another kind of abuse and that is a verbal abuse and I believe that it is much more prevalent now some people would say that it is in the field of morality that if I were to come up to someone and take my fist and punch them in the nose and hit them real hard they would say that's immoral behavior That's a moral issue as to whether or not you are a, to use the biblical term, a striker, a broiler. But verbal abuse is sinful as well and it is also a moral issue. People need to understand that not only preachers, not only teachers, but each and every one of us will give an account for the words that we say In Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37, But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. I think most of us shudder if we think about the words that we have spoken over our course of our lifetime. I want to talk about tonight a description of the tongue from the Bible. I think it's important to begin with a proper foundation. Number two, I would like for us to look at the destructive power of the tongue. And then finally to look at some discipline that you and I need with regards to the words that we speak. The tongue, as it appears in the Bible, is a figure for what one says. For instance, Job 33, verse 2. Now I open my mouth, my tongue speaks in my mouth. I don't know how you could put it any plainer than that. When you use the word tongue in the Bible, sometimes it refers to speaking a foreign language, like the speaking in tongues in Acts chapter 2 and 1 Corinthians chapter 14. But quite often, the Bible will use the word tongue, as here in James 3, to describe the words which we speak to one another. And God knows every word that I speak. There are some things that I say publicly. That is, from the pulpit or from other venues in front of people. There are some things that I may say privately to someone. And there are some things that I may say under my breath. And the truth is, God hears every one of those. We read in Psalm 139 and verse 4, For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, you, O Lord, know it all together. God knows every word. You know, this mumbling under our breath that we do sometimes? Whispering? God knows that. You have to recognize that speech can be either positive or negative. In Colossians 4 and verse 6, perhaps one of my favorite passages now, one at least that has, I think, tried to influence what I'm saying. He said, let your speech always be with grace. Season with a little salt that you may know how you ought to answer each one we are sometimes put on the hot seat. Sometimes people want to know what we believe. You know, when Peter was speaking, he said, But sanctify in your heart Christ Jesus as Lord, being ready always to give an answer to every man that asks the reason of hope that is within you, yet with meekness and fear. When I answer someone, let it be with grace. Season with a little salt so that the person who hears it will listen to it. You know, if you're trying to teach someone the gospel and you come at them and you, in the words that you use, are negative, people will not listen. On the other hand, if you use gracious words, seasoned words, That's the kind that God wants us to use. In Titus 2 and verse 8, Titus is trying to get them to understand what it really means to be a Christian. How it ought to impact every facet of our life. And he says, "...sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is of the opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you, so that when my words are spoken..." They can't turn around and say, you said that? You used those words? You see, those of us who are Christians have to recognize that we are an example to the people on the outside. We are an example to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And folks, we are an example to our family and how we speak, And in what we say. I want to move now to the destructive power of the tongue. And I don't think that there's anyone here who denies the fact that the tongue can destroy. There's a key passage of scripture which I encourage you to write the reference in the front of your Bible. I encourage you to highlight it in yellow. Take your red pen and put a star by it. It's found in Proverbs 18 and verse 21. And here is the words of Solomon. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Now you can back up to verse 20. And he's going to talk about a man uh, having the fruit of his mouth. But we have to understand that the words that we speak, just like good fruit and just like poisonous fruit, And I'm using that illustration from James chapter 3 and verse 8. You have to recognize that if a man eats the words of some people, it will make him healthy, will make him strong. Life are in those words. On the other hand, some words are so poisonous that they have a way of killing people. Death are in those words. And those who love it will eat its fruit you will have come back to you what you produce. In Proverbs 24, 1 and 2, Solomon said, Do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for their heart devises violence, and their lips talk of troublemaking. As you think about the kind of problems that occur in the world at large, that occur in our community, that occur in our congregations, and occur in our families. There are some people whose voices are for troublemaking. They want to create conflict rather than resolve conflict. Paul knew that the churches of Galatia were going through a difficult time. He knew that there was conflict between brethren, and so he puts it very simply like this. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. You know, folks, if you really want to start a good argument, you can pick on someone You can go directly to them. But don't be surprised when people respond in like kind. Let me tell you what happens in families. The husband gets angry with the wife. The wife gets angry with the husband. She says something she ought not say. He says something he ought not say. And what happens eventually is the downfall of the family. And he tells the churches there, be careful, you'll be consumed by one another. The tongue can be used to discourage and dissuade. You know, it's, it's wonderful when we have goals and ambitions and desires to do good, to accomplish the Lord's will. And then someone comes along and they try to turn it into something ugly. Listen to Deuteronomy 1 and verse 28. The children of Israel are ready. They're perched to enter the promised land. And yet there are some people who are still saying, 40 years later, we can't do it. Here's what Moses writes. Where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts saying, the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the son of Anakim there. We recognize that there are challenges in front of us. Let's say, for instance, we have been put before us a great challenge to carry the gospel into a new place. And let's say, for instance, it's going to require money to do it. It's going to require prayers to do it. And then someone comes along and says, well, we can't do that. We don't have the money to do that. We don't have somebody. And you have people who are dissuading, discouraging. They are putting words that make people not want to do what the Lord has given us to do. The Lord intended the children of Israel possess the promised land. And there were people telling them, no, we can't do that. Very interesting. You jump forward in history to the time of the return from the Babylonian captivity. Ezra the scribe, Nehemiah the governor, they're there and they're trying to encourage the people to do what is right. And we read in Ezra 4 verses 4 and 5, then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. You see, there were people who didn't want us to succeed. The devil doesn't want us to succeed. He wants to destroy the work of God. And he uses our tongues to do it. The tongue can also be used to divert people from the truth. The truth is found revealed in God's word very simply, very plainly. Jesus said in John 8 and verse 32, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. In John 17 and verse 17, Jesus in his prayer to the Father said, Sanctify them according to your truth. Your word is truth. People always, are not always in a position to accept it. And there have been people throughout history who are trying to turn away someone. Elamus, the sorcerer, our young people studied about him in Acts 13 as Paul and Barnabas began. He walked to, sought to turn the proconsul away from the faith, Sergius Paulus. Listen to Psalm 120, verses 2 and 3. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you or what shall be done to you, you false tongue? David is asking, God, what are we going to do about the liars? In Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. There are six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devised wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who utters or speaks lies, and one who sows discord among his brethren. I think it's interesting. If you go back to verse 17, there's a lying tongue. Verse 19, a false witness who speaks lies. Both of them are lies. And then the one who sows the discord three instances in this passage where there's destruction. The tongue can also be used to divide friends and brethren and how sad it is when that occurs. In Proverbs 16:28 and 179, a perverse man sows strife and a whisper separates the best of friends. How many times have you known someone yourself? There's two good friends over here, and someone, because of jealousy, because they can't stand that those people have that close relationship, they try to drive a wedge between them. And they are whispers. Now, don't tell him I told you this, but... Proverbs 17:9, very similar. He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. People trying to create conflict between people. In 1 Samuel 24, David knew what that was about. Saul was trying to take the life of David. Evidently, Saul had been persuaded by some people to think that David was ambitious enough to want his throne. And so David said to Saul... Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks your harm? Why do you listen to those people, Saul? I am not trying to destroy you. You see, sometimes tongue can be used to divide people. I tried to go through the Bible and make a list of some of the words that I thought describe the destructive power of the tongue. And I came up with ten of them, and I'm sure there's many more. Gossip, murmur, backbiter, busybody, meddler, slanderer, evil speaker, talebearer, taddler, whisperer, I'm sure you may think of some more to go along with that. Those are destructive uses of the tongue. Now, if I understand what the tongue is, and I think I do, I understand that the tongue has the power to destroy. Then what am I going to do about it? I want to talk about disciplining the tongue. It's not that you want the tongue not to be used at all. You want the tongue to be used for something good and never for something bad. And listen as James begins his letter in James 1 and verse 26. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. It's vain. You think about people who are hypocritical. Would it be right for me to walk up in the pulpit here and say, don't lie, and then lie to you about that? Here's a person who comes up and claims that he is serving God. Later on in James 3, he will say that out of the same mouth comes blessing and cursing, he said, Brethren, my these things ought not so to be. These things ought not happen. If you are not going to make some effort to bridle your tongue, your religion's not worth anything. One of the greatest obligations is to learn to hold one's tongue. I'm going to tell you from someone who likes to talk, there's sometimes that's tough. When someone feels that they have something to say, most of us feel like we need to say something in return. Listen to Job 6 and verse 24. Job said to his friends, Teach me, and I will hold my tongue. Cause me to understand wherein I have erred. Part of the problem sometimes is is that we think we know better. Job said, teach me and I will hold my tongue. Bildad, Eliphaz, and Zophar did not teach Job. Nor did Elihu. But you get to Job 38 and God did. Who is this who darkens counsel with words without knowledge? Job, you've been talking when you ought to have been listening. Job, did you not learn there are some things about which you know nothing? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? Job had to... Confess, I wasn't there and I don't know. I think that statement in chapter 6 and verse 24 is very significant. Teach me and I'll hold my tongue. Psalm 39 verse 1, David said, I will guard my ways lest I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle while the wicked are before me. Now, one of the things that becomes apparent as one studies the book of Psalms is that David was frequently faced with difficulties of people who lied to him, lied about him. There were people who were seeking David's hurt, David's harm. Now, how do you respond to these people? how most of us respond. Most of us become angry. And most of us will say whatever is on the tip of our tongue and we'll just let those words fly. And listen, David says, Lest I sin with my tongue, I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle. A muzzle is what you put on a dog's snout to keep him from biting you. He says, I'm going to have to muzzle myself while the wicked are before me. Yes, they may be wicked, but now let me tell you something. Two wrongs don't make a right. The fact that the wicked do something that harms me does not give me the right to say something evil as well. You know, Jesus was very plain when he taught that you don't do unto others as they do unto you. You do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. You treat them like you want to be treated. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, he says you don't return evil or for evil, you return good for evil. In Proverbs 21 and verse 23, whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. His soul from troubles. It's a challenge sometimes. But it will be much happier for us if we do that. Now, listen to James 1 and verse 19. The reason why I keep going back to James is because James had so much to say about this. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And I should have put Verse 20 on there. For the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. You know, what I say many times does not help God's cause out, especially when I'm angry. And I have to be careful about what I say when I'm angry. This past week, the preachers in the area here have a luncheon once a month. And usually after we eat, we sit around and talk about some various things. And quite frequently, one will say, you know, I'm having a problem with this or that. Has anybody else had any problem with that? Can you offer any advice or any encouragement? This past week, several of us talked about the fact that we were worried about families. Families. Seemingly good, strong families on the outside, but then you find out they're having real trouble at home. Mama's mad at Daddy, Daddy's mad at Mama, and the parents are mad at the kids, the kids are mad at parents, and they're all saying harsh, mean, unkind things. They're about ready to separate, maybe even divorce. What are we going to do? One of the things is, is that we've got to preach and teach the way we talk to one another and our families. I'd suggest to you, if you're having trouble in your family, if you will try something, try talking nice for the rest of the year. I know that's a challenge. If you can't say something positive, don't say anything at all. Try to allow yourself to think before you speak. And when you do speak to your children, to your spouse, watch your tone of voice. Grievous words stirs up anger, Solomon says. Don't say it harshly. Find a way to say it kindly. If you can't say it kindly right then, wait until you can. Man can use his tongue for good. Hebrews thirteen fifteen. listen as the writer says, Therefore let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. There are some good things to say, folks. Praising God is one of those. Ephesians 6 and verse 19 and for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. It's not just the fact that we can praise God from whom all blessings flow in song and in prayer and in speaking to others, but it's the fact that we can teach other people, use our mouths to teach the gospel to someone. In Acts 11 and verse 14, Peter arrived back from the conversion of the household of Cornelius. And as he's rehearsing the things that were happening there, he made a a very bold statement. He said that you are to send for Peter who will tell you words by which you and your household will be saved. What kind of words are going to come out of your mouth? Hopefully, they're words that will cause people to be saved. Now, I've thought about beginning here, but this is where I'm going to end. In Luke 6, 45, last Wednesday night's discussion in our Wednesday night adult class, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. If I'm having the trouble saying the right thing you've got to go a little bit deeper than the tongue. You've got to go all the way to the heart. And I've got to examine My heart, my spiritual heart. Do I love God? Do I love my fellow man? Has envy, jealousy, strife, wrath, any of these things invaded my heart? To what is happening is the bad that's in my heart is coming out of my mouth. It's a moral issue. And you and I, if we want to make it to heaven, are going to have to watch what we say. If you'll open your song books now, Lord willing, we're going to use our mouths for good. These words are written and put to music so that you and I can speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in our hearts to the Lord. And when we do that, we encourage one another to respond to the Lord positively. If you need to become a Christian tonight, the sweetest words that could ever be on your tongue is, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And if you're a child of God and you need to return, the one who's becoming Christian through saying those words and then being baptized, but if you are a Christian who needs to be forgiven, then what greater privilege could you have to say, Lord, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. Will you take me back? God will. Would you come as we stand and say?